You guys doing all right? This is, uh, is going to be a fun Sunday morning for us, um, but uh, uh, we're going to start in the book of Acts. If you want to start out uh, looking for Acts chapter 11, I'm going to give you plenty of time to get there and to find it. The book of Acts is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and if that language is kind of weird to you, you're like, books of the Bible? I thought the Bible was a book. The Bible is actually a library of books, and... Um, in the, there's, there's two different portions to that library, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament starts with the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. And then after those four Gospels is the book of Acts. And I remember I'd be in, it, it, growing up, I'd hear preachers say, we're turning to Acts. And I always thought it was A-X-E, you know, like an axe that you chop down a tree with. And then, and then I realized, no, it's actions, right? It's the actions of the Holy Spirit. It's the actions of the apostles. And so um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 11. And the book of Acts is really incredible because it covers the 35 years. It starts in Acts chapter 1 with Jesus after his death and resurrection. He ascends to the Father in Acts chapter 1 verse 9. And then it covers about 35 years to the point where now this movement of Jesus followers has gone from really probably less than the number of people that are in this room this morning at the beginning of the book of Acts to becoming so exponential that it has spread to almost every region and city of the Roman Empire. And it's grown, I mean, thousands upon thousands of people by the end of the book of Acts and even secular historians have often kind of backed up when they've seen these accounts and gone, how is this possible that this happened? I mean, we know what happened. In fact, the ripples of that are the reason why we're in here today, 2,000 years later. So there's no doubt that it happened. And so for historians and sociologists to ask the question, how, how did this thing happen? How did this movement spread from just this motley crew of Jesus followers that were kind of a cult within Judaism to being this thing that just made a huge difference and eventually you could even say toppled the Roman Empire itself, this mighty, powerful force and I think it comes down to really what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. And if you haven't been with us, here's the gist of it, is that Jesus' followers took seriously the words of Jesus in John chapter 20, verse 21, when Jesus said this on the night of his resurrection, he said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. There's no doubt that they had seen that the hand of God was upon Jesus, that the anointing and the authority of God was upon Jesus. And Jesus says, in that same way, in that same manner that God sent me, he's given me authority, he's given me anointing, now I am sending you. And they began to think of themselves as a sent people. And this is so, this is so, uh, it's so important for us today because what happens, I think, in, in many congregations, in many churches, in many faith assemblies, is, is what happens is if the longer that we gather, the more that we can start to develop something called, get ready for a big word, sentimentality. Sentimentality. Sen you know, sentimental. And sentimentality is this, this wishing for the good old days. You know, sentimentality is you're sitting around, you're going, oh man, wasn't that great back when, right? And for followers of Jesus, think about it, especially after Jesus ascended to the Father, they could have just sat around and they could have just been the few of them telling stories about Jesus and just going, man, that was really great. Those three years with Jesus, those were the best, weren't they? 
But they didn't live with this sentimentality. Instead, they lived with this scent mentality. This scent mindset. That no matter who they were, what level of education they had, what ethnicity they came from, they had this thought that God is sending me. That wherever I am, God is sending me. And listen, this wasn't a, at this point, Christianity wasn't, there wasn't a bunch of professional, paid, full-time Christians. Even Paul wasn't a full-time pastor. This is back, Paul's day job was, was uh, making tents, literally. Like sewing tents together all day long. These were, these were people who would tan hides. These were people who would dye cloth. These were seamstresses. These, these were people who would work all day long. But in the midst of their work, they recognized we are sent. God is sending us. There's people around us that we need to share the gospel with. And they really believed that Jesus had come, that Jesus died on the cross, and he rose from the grave to free us from our sin and from our shame and from our guilt and from our addictions and from our fear, they really believe that. They believe that about Jesus. And so we need to live with a sense mentality, right? And so when I look at the book of Acts, what we're going to pick up with today in Acts chapter 11 is this influential church that probably a lot of you have never even heard of. It was a church in a city called Antioch. And we'll actually put this map up on the screen. Antioch, if you can actually see it, is all the way over here on the right See it underlined? This is Antioch, and so this would be modern-day Syria. And Antioch is an, interesting, is an interesting place because it was kind of like a mosh pit of cultures. Because it, was, because it was pretty close to the coast, what you would have is people would come into Antioch, and it was a very diverse area. And I often think of, you know, remember if you grew up uh, going to history class, some of you went, some of you didn't go, you ditched it. But in history class, remember Ellis Island, and you would have all these immigrants that would come through. This was one of the entry points into the U.S. was Ellis Island. And I think of Antioch as being that kind of place. Well, Antioch was this place that, that, that was just, a, again, this mosh pit of cultures, and, and for the most part didn't know anything about Jesus, but something began to happen after Jesus ascended to the Father that Jesus' followers began to move into action. And, and we could say that this was all spiritual and it was all, you know, led, you know, led solely by the Spirit. But what happened was persecution caused these followers of Jesus to go, you know what? Jerusalem isn't looking so nice anymore. You know, after you've had your property confiscated, after you've seen other followers of Jesus thrown into prison, after you've seen people beaten because they profess Christ, you go, yeah, I think we might want to move. The Spirit is leading us to move, right? And so they start moving, and this is the diaspora. This is the, the scattering of Jesus' followers throughout the Roman Empire. And this is where we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 11, beginning with verse 19. Today we're just going to give you a little bit of a history of this church, and, and I, I find it fascinating, maybe you don't, but hopefully there'll be some lessons along the way that you can glean. In Acts chapter 11, beginning with verse 19, it says, Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. 
So let's just pause right here. So this is exactly what has happened. Stephen is the first martyr. Stephen is a Greek who became a follower of Jesus, and he's just a servant in the church, um, helping widows, distributing food to widows, and, and he gets in the crosshairs of the religious elite, the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem, and they haul him in, and they ask him to tell what he's doing, and he starts testifying, and in the midst of his testimony, which is incredible in Acts chapter 7, you should read it, in the middle of his testimony, they, they just decide, this guy's a heretic, we're going to kill him. They stone him to death. He's the first martyr within Christianity. And, and they're overseeing him being stoned to death was a religious leader named, anybody remember? Saul. Yeah, you were like, is it Saul? It was Saul, right? And Saul's going to be important in a few minutes. He's going to come back into the story. So, so you get what's going on in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. The believers have been scattered because of Stephen being martyred. They're all like, yeah, I think the Spirit's leading us to leave Jerusalem. They travel to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and they travel all the way to Antioch, right? They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. If that's confusing, basically there's two categories. There's Jews, and then there's Gentiles. The Gentiles is everybody else. So if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. And the beginning of the Jesus movement was exclusively Jewish. Jesus was a Jew. Peter was a Jew, all the disciples were Jews, and so when I see anti-Semitism crop up sometimes amongst people who call themselves Christians, I just say, you don't know your history, because it's stupid. I mean, it's evil and all that, don't get me wrong, but it's also very stupid for Christians to be anti-Semitic. The one we claim to follow is 100% Jewish, right? So, so ridiculous, right? So, so, but, so they're, they're preaching to Jews, but then there's this group of people that says, well, maybe everybody needs to hear this message, which was really radical in the early church, because they really did think this was an exclusive message of Jews. So, so they, the power of the Lord was with them. A large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. So you have this city, this Antioch on the coast, this mosh pit of cultures, and some unnamed, ordinary followers of Jesus will never know their names just started sharing the message of Jesus in the city, and now what has happened is a church is born. And remember, a church back then is not a building. There was no buildings for the first couple hundred years of the church. So it's not a building. It is literally an assembly, a gathering of Jesus followers that would meet wherever they could meet. Wherever it could happen. And so now you have this church that is going on. And, and these were just ordinary people with an extraordinary purpose. People who realized that they had a sent mindset, a sent mentality. They had a passion for telling people about, about Jesus. And so what happens now is in Jerusalem, which is kind of the, the headquarters of the church at this point. Jerusalem gets um, a notice about what's going on in Antioch. And are you guys all following me? You guys all with me so far? They hear what's going on in Antioch. Basically revival. People are getting saved left and right. Gentiles are getting saved. This is all brand new. And so Jerusalem goes, man, we need to send somebody who knows what they're doing to the city to make sure everything's you know, going all right here. And so they send a guy named Barnabas. And Barnabas, he's, I think Barnabas is probably the most important character in the New Testament other than Jesus, obviously. And you go, really? I've never even heard of him. Barnabas, this, this is how cool Barnabas is. Barnabas isn't his real name. His real name is actually Joseph, but there were so many Josephs back then. I mean, it was like Mary's, you know, like every other person was named Mary, <laughs> and every other, that's weird, right, Mary and Joseph. Just, that just clicked, right? 
There's a ton of people named Joseph, a ton of people named Mary. And so his, his real name was Joseph, but they gave him the nickname. And the nickname doesn't mean anything to us in English, but the nickname literally means son of encouragement. And Barnabas was, su- you thought I was going to say son of something else, right? <laughs> he goes, uh, he was such an encourager. I mean, can you imagine being such an encourager that people are like, eh, we're not going to call you your real name. We're just going to start calling you encourager. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? That'd be an encouragement. And so Barnabas, he is such an encourager. He is one of these people who, who, who would just see potential in anybody. And he would just, I mean, he, he could just, he wouldn't read, peop, he wouldn't read books by their covers. Like he was, he'd say, listen, I believe there's something inside of you. And so they sent the best possible person to Antioch. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. And Barnabas quickly realizes, I mean, he, he starts sharing. And so in verse 24 of chapter 11, we see even more people are being brought to Jesus. I mean, this thing's growing. It really is a revival. It really is this movement that is, that is spreading, and it's spreading beyond Antioch. And so Barnabas very quickly goes, okay, this is way beyond me. I need some help. And Barnabas does something that is so counterintuitive. He actually leaves Antioch, and if you, see, if you put that map back up on the screen, he leaves Antioch, and he travels, and it looks like this would just be like a quick journey do you see where Tarsus is right there to the left of Antioch? The, the, uh, I guess that would be, what, northwest of Antioch? He travels to Tarsus. And the reason why Barnabas travels to Tarsus is because, remember Saul? We said the guy who had been persecuting Christians, he was there when Stephen got a stone to death. Saul, in the meantime, has had a radical conversion. This is all in Acts chapter 9. And, and Saul is now saying, no, I'm convinced that Jesus is a Messiah. I'm convinced that I was wrong. I'm convinced that he is God and he died on the cross and he was risen from the grave. And he is the only way that we can be free from our sin and from our guilt and our shame. And so, but here's the problem. Because Saul had led the way in persecution, the Christians are, and you would do the same thing, and I would do the same thing. The Christians are like, oh, that's a nice story, but don't get too close. You know, we'll buy your book, but, but we don't want you preaching in our church, right? So Saul's had this incredible conversion, and, and so Barnabas, because he's an encourager and he sees potential in anybody, Barnabas goes, I need help. This thing is spreading like crazy in Antioch. He goes to Tarsus. He hunts down Saul. Saul had gone back to his hometown because the people in Jerusalem were just kind of arm's length away. And they were like, so Saul goes, that's all right. I'll just move back home. I'll just move back in the basement and, uh, of my mom's house. And Saul goes to Tarsus. He fi- or Barnabas goes to, to Tarsus. He finds Saul and he says, you got to come back with me and help me. And Barnabas begins to mentor Saul. He begins to, because Saul knew a lot about the Old Testament, but he didn't know a lot about Jesus. And so Barnabas just starts teaching him. He just starts mentoring him. He just starts encouraging him. And the next thing you know, verse 26 of Acts chapter 11, it says, uh, the end of verse 26, it says, both of them, speaking of Saul or Paul, as we mostly know him, Paul and Barnabas stayed there with the church in Antioch. Again, it's not a building. It's just this gathering, this assembly of believers. For a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And just as an aside, this is kind of cool. It was at Antioch the believers were first called Christians. Up until this time, they've been called followers of the way. Which is, I I actually kind of like that better, honestly. 
And so Christians was a derisive term. It was a, oh, you're little Christ, you're little messiahs. And eventually they embraced this term, and that's why, you know, today we, we don't even think twice about being called Christians, right? So if you skip to chapter 13, you're going to see why Antioch was one of the most influential churches. This church was like one of the most praying churches. By the way, here at Journey, we are committed to prayer. In fact, a week from this Wednesday, not this coming Wednesday, but a week from this Wednesday, it's the first Wednesday, and here at Journey on the first Wednesdays, we're committed to praying and fasting for our church and for our community. We're going to have gatherings, our normal gatherings, every Wednesday at 11. We're going to have that gathering. In addition, we'll have a gathering at 7 p.m. We'd love to have you come. And even if you can't come that day at 11 or at 7 p.m., I'm asking everybody who's committed to Journey, just to, if you can, if you're medically able, just to fast a meal or a couple meals. And it's a very strategic Wednesday because it's just a couple days before our Resurrection Sunday services, and um, we're believing for God to change lives. We're believing that there's going to be an environment that people are going to walk in the doors, and before even a sermon is preached, even during the worship time, people are going to be like, how can I be saved, right? There's going to be such a spirit of, 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 of repentance and um, conviction. And so, so if you would pray with me, but this church in Antioch, they were a praying church. And we see this in verse 1 of Acts chapter 13. It says, among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, who we've already been talking about, right? Simeon, called the black man. This was a diverse church, by the way. I love that. Lucius from Cyrene, Mannion, who as an aside was the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas. That's kind of weird. And then Saul, the guy we've been talking about who later would become Paul. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. I, you know, I've, I've read through this, I've read through this so many times, but I was thinking about this, like what an incredible church Antioch was. To be able to send Barnabas and Saul and just say, hey, God spoke to us, blessings on you. I don't think they just sent them empty-handed. I think they sent them with resources. I think they sent them with the best that they had. And, and they sent them out and they said, and it would have been so easy to have hoarded them, wouldn't it? It would have been so easy to be like, uh, I know you guys think that the Holy Spirit said that, but the Holy Spirit didn't say that to us. We, Barnabas, we need you here. We need a son of encouragement here. We need Paul here. They could, they could have hoarded what God was doing, but instead this church had a sent mentality. And because, because they released Paul and Barnabas, to go and spread the message of Christ, I believe that's literally the reason why we are here today. Because Paul and Barnabas would begin to single, or double-handedly, I, I don't know what the term would be for two of them, they would go and between the two of them, they would begin to, to just camp out in different cities for sometimes just a few weeks, sometimes up to two years, and they would begin to share Christ and birth churches all over the Roman Empire, just the two of them. It was amazing. So today, our church is celebrating our 16th birthday. It's our sweet 16. 16 years ago on Sunday, March 25th, we had our grand opening. And man, God has been faithful. 
It would be so easy, though, for us to take on sentimentality where we just go, oh, man, those were the good old days. I was literally, uh, I had to pick up Kara from an event yesterday. Kara's our youngest. And there she is. And we're in the car. And Kara started saying, remember back when, and she, and I won't get into the details of it. And it was something that we were able to do back when our church was small, but we're just not able to do today because we've gotten bigger. And, you know, we just had our own little sentimentality moment in the car driving. We're like, man, that was really cool. But you know what? It's nice to go there for a few minutes, but we can't stay there. We have to have a scent mentality, a scent mindset. And so we were going through the archives recently of our, uh, you know, pictures and videos and stuff. And there's like this eight-minute video. Don't worry. It, we're going to, I just wanted to show you two and a half minutes of this video. And if you're new to Journey, you're, you can just take a nap during this because it probably will not be, like, impactful at all. For those of you who have been around for a few years, you might go, oh, that's really cool. That's really interesting. For those of you who are in our pig farm building you, you'll really maybe enjoy this. So let's just watch this video and we'll come back and talk some more about a scent mentality. When we started Journey Church four and a half years ago, we were fortunate to be able to meet right here at this location, 2095 West McPherson Highway. We rent this facility for $1,000 a month. The only downside, we don't have a lease. At any point, our landlord can give us 30 days and we've got to be out of here. I actually thank God for this location. It's here that God has grown a bunch of strangers into a church. Yet this building has had its limitations. For example, the sanctuary can only comfortably seat about 70 people, which has led us to create a second service. And that doesn't even scratch the surface of our kids' issues. We've had to turn a room that was never meant to be a classroom into a nursery. And if you have ever served in the nursery, you know first, it's cramped quarters for sure. Second, every bit of noise in here can be heard in the sanctuary. Our kids' spaces have been maxed out for years, and while we've done everything we can to make them attractive environments, the lack of space really has been a barrier for us. Our restrooms are hardly ideal. Have you ever had to awkwardly wait in the hallway for someone to finish their business? Speaking of which... I imagine that most of you have gotten out of your cars on a Sunday morning only to be greeted by the foul aroma of our neighbors across the street. Listen. This facility has been great for us over the last four and a half years. It's been great for the first chapter of our church, but wisdom dictates that we begin looking toward the future, that we work toward a facility where we can see God build great lives. Thankfully, God has already been working on our behalf. crazy. <laughs> so how did we end up from there to here? We had a group of people with a scent mentality. A scent mindset. Some of them aren't even with us any longer. There's people who sacrifice, who serve their faces off, who believe that the mission is greater than our own comfort. 
Paul and Barnabas were able to change the world. But behind them was a group of average, ordinary followers of Jesus who lifted their arms, who provided for them every step of the way. I would submit to you that Paul and Barnabas couldn't have done what they did without the church of Antioch. And we've seen a lot of activity here at Journey in the past year. In fact, this past year has been so refreshing, especially after the year or so of COVID. It was in the last year that started up the nursing home ministry with Bob and Terry Christman leading that. We have a thriving youth ministry. We've been able to get back into the school with mentoring. We have Tuesday night kids ministries that was started up in the last year. Outreaches to our own community, giving away shoes and all the different things that go on. Serving communities around the world through packing 20,000 meals and supporting 32 missionaries or missions organizations. We just started the Chain Breakers group, which by the way, if you're struggling with an addiction, they meet tonight at 6 p.m. And the Loving and Addict group, which meets tonight at 6 p.m. right here at the church. Love to have you join us. Last year... We gave $124,969 just to serving communities across the street and around the world. You did that. You did that. It wasn't a single person who did that. It was all of us. All of us together. Why, why do we do that? Because we have a sent mentality. A sent mindset. But you know what? We have to stay intentional about this. Because I've known, and probably chances are you've known churches where, man, they started out with that mindset. But it doesn't take long to move back into sentimentality where you're just like, yeah, that was great. But now I want to be comfortable. <laughs> and can I tell you, there's everything in me. would. Be, people are like, oh, you must love having a growing church. Some days. There's a whole lot of days where I think, man, when we were 70 people, that was way easier. It was way easier. But we want to have a sent mentality. So before we, we, clo- before we close this morning, I want to I share with you um, three practical ways that you can help us to have a sent mentality. And, and I was wrestling with how to help you remember these. And so I was thinking about 16, right? We've turned 16. And so I want you to think back to, and some of you can't do this yet because you're not yet 16, but most of us in this room remember when we were 16. In fact, uh, let's, let's just uh, have a little fun here. Here's a few 16-year-olds from our church. Anybody know who that is? That's Lori Carver. <laughs> uh, who are, let's, let's show it. You know that? Nobody knows who that is, I promise you, except for the people who are family members. This is Rick Carver. Let's go to another one. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. We'll show one more. There's my beautiful bride. She hasn't changed at all. Like, she looks exactly the same. So you remember when you were 16? When you turned 16, some of you experienced driving. Some of you experienced driving. I, I think our generations change, right? I mean, today's a little bit different, but when I turned 16, that was my primary focus, is get my driver's license as quickly as I could, because that was the only way to freedom, right? (laughs) 
And uh, here's the thing, with the location that we are set, we're not a neighborhood church, we're a church out in the middle of nowhere. In order to come to Journey Church, you either have to drive your own vehicle or you have to be a passenger in somebody else's vehicle, right? And so we can have all the space in our facilities for people, but if we don't have space in the parking lot, we're essentially saying you're not welcome here, right? And we've, we know there's been people who have driven around the parking lot and left, particularly in the second service. But here's how, a practical way that you can help us, especially as we um, move toward Easter. And, and it's probably not as important in the first service. But if you can help us, if you're physically able and you want to get in some steps, help us out by parking over at the offices or over at the drive through carryout on Easter Sunday. We're even going to be parking in Fuchonics parking lot, which is right across the street from the uh, drive through carryout. And... By doing that, what we're doing is we're, we're saying, hey, you are welcome here. There's a parking space for you. And when we have a sent mentality, we realize I don't need the closest parking space. In fact, I always laugh when I go to a church. And I, I go to a lot of churches uh, in a new role that I have with the Ohio Ministry Network. And, and I was, uh, so many churches, like the closest parking space is, say, reserved for pastor, right? And I'm like, yeah, our parking space that I parked over at the drive through carryout this morning. Did you? My wife parked over there as well. So, so here at Journey, we have a scent mentality. I don't need the closest parking space. I can let somebody else have that, right? Now, some of you, that, that doesn't work practically because of your age, because of other physical issues, because you're carrying, you know, a, 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 what do you call them? I don't even remember. A, a baby? Car seats. I don't have to remember that. Hey, let's show some more 16-year-old pictures. Uh, that's Kevin Miller. Let's go to the next one here. Who knows who this is? This is our own Cheryl Murray right back there. Yeah. Here's another one. You know who that is? It's Pastor Aaron. He's got an umbrella on his hat. Of course it's Pastor Aaron, right? That was your clue. You know who that is? That's Bonnie Pruitt right back there. Hey, when, when, <laughs> when you turn 16, some of you experience kissing. Some of you are wondering how I'm going to make this a point. I, I find a way in the Bible to make this a point. Uh, I was going through these notes earlier this week, and Pastor Aaron goes, well, not to brag, but I experienced kissing a little bit before I turned 16. And I said, I don't know if you want your kids to know that. Like, we keep telling our kids that we didn't kiss until we were in our 30s, so... Here's it, you're going, okay, how's he going to make a point out of this? The, one of the last things Paul said to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, is greet one another with a holy kiss. <laughs> Don't amen that. <laughs> so, I remember, I was in my 20s, I'm a, I'm a new pastor, and I'm at our church in Pittsburgh, and there was this a group of, of Christians who were coming from overseas, and this Greek Christian who I'd never met before comes in, and I thought we were about to hug. And I'm already, I mean, God has helped me out over the years, but back in the day, I didn't hug a lot of people, and especially hugging strangers was like, oh, we're going to hug. Okay, he comes in for what I think is a hug, and he kisses me on both of my cheeks, and then I had this deer-in-the-headlights moment of, is he expecting me to do the same thing? Like... <laughs> Because I ain't doing it. I'm not. 
So in your notes, if you have your notes there, I want you to circle greet one another, and then you have permission to cross out with a holy kiss. You can leave that for home or for later, right? But here, listen, that was a cultural thing. That was their way of greeting. Here, for Journey, here's the thing. As we grow, and we've grown by about 100 people just in the last three, four months, here's what is so important is, is as we get larger, it is, it is so um, easy for us just to become like a church full of strangers, Right? And, and so here's a commitment that I'm going to ask everybody who says, this is my home church. Maybe you've only been coming a couple weeks, but you just know that the Lord has spoken to you and this is where you're supposed to be. This is a challenge for everybody in the room who says, this is my home church. Would you commit to greeting the people in your row, in the row in front of you, and the row behind you every single Sunday morning? Okay, I'm not asking you to kiss each other. Okay, I'm just asking you to greet one another. I'm just asking, in fact, here's, here's next level, is learn their names. And here's the pushback. Oh, pastor, I can't remember names. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. You can, okay? And you want to know, you know how you memorize names? You write them down. And so get an index card, and if you don't have one, we'll get you one. Bring your Bible. That would be a good first step. Bring your Bible. Put an index card in your Bible, and just start writing down when you greet people, because we give you that time. Write down the names of the people, and just start remembering and memorizing the people in your rows. You want to take this next level? Start praying for that list of names. During the week, just start praying for the people in the, the row that you sit in, the row behind you, the row in front of you. And here's how cool this is. Most of you sit in the same places every single Sunday. And so this really isn't hard. Right? How great would it be if when a guest comes in that they're not just greeted at the doors. And I love our greeters who greet people at the doors. But you know what happens? We, we do a great job out there. But as soon as people come into this room and they sit down, they never get greeted again the whole rest of the service. And can I tell you, people are carrying in stuff with them. I, I know we're just going to go a little longer this morning, but I, re I remember a grandfather who had lost uh, his grandson to cancer, and he thought he was okay. He thought he was, it had been, it had been a couple weeks, a couple months, and uh, he had to go on a business trip that took him away for a weekend. And so he went into a church on Sunday morning, and for whatever reason, the music or the preaching, something, it was the music, now that I remember him telling it, he said from the point of the music, he goes, I don't know what, what happened, but he goes, I just started bawling. He goes, for some reason, I thought I was okay, but the, his grandson's death just hit him in a fresh way. Maybe it was being in a different context, in a different environment. The music came on, he, just, he said I was a wreck, and he goes, still hits me to stay. He said, not one person noticed. Because I'd never been to this church before. I didn't know anybody. But he said, you'd think an old guy in a row of chairs crying his eyes out that somebody would have said, are you okay? He goes, in that moment, I would have given anything for somebody just to have hugged me. Listen, there's people that come into our church carrying all kinds of stuff. And we can have the best music, and I can preach my face off, but you want to know what's even more important? That someone around them looks them in the eyes, and just, you know, you can just communicate you're important just by saying, hey, I remember your name. 
Or, hey, I don't know your name, but I'm about to get your name, and from this point on, you come back here, I'm going to remember your name. It means so much. The great poets of our generation in the 1980s said, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came, right? And isn't that true? So listen, I know you're an introvert. This is how we have a scent mentality. Okay, God isn't necessarily calling you to Africa, but through your pastor this morning, God is calling you to greet the people in your row, in the row in front of you, in the row behind you, and to make their names a priority, to learn their names, and when they show up and their spouse isn't with them, you can say, hey, where's so-and-so today? You know what that communicates? It communicates there's people in this place who actually know me and love me, right? Number three, when you turn, well, we got to show some more pictures. We just have four more. These are fun. There's our children's director, Julia Robinson. You know who that is? That's our board member slash bass player who's married to our children's director. That's Patrick. I love that one. That's our worship leader, Beth. She doesn't age. She doesn't change, right? You know who that is? Mr. Joel Petrie himself back there, yeah. Chick magnet. <laughs> Got that killer eyes, right? <laughs> Here's number three. When you turned 16, some of you experienced working. In our home, in the DeChant home, you turned 16, and we're going to introduce you to the great, wonderful world of work. Like, outside the house, okay? They work in the house at a very early age. As our church matures, listen, we've got to mature in serving. Following Jesus includes serving. And this is one of, the, this is one of the, uh, the tensions of becoming a larger church. When we were a church of 30 people, everybody served. When we were a church of 70 people, everybody served. But you know what happens is you grow as a church and you get bigger numerically as a church. What happens is there's this mentality of, oh, there's a lot of people in this church. Somebody else will do it. If we're going to have a scent mentality, a scent mindset, we start to realize, hey, if I call myself a follower of Jesus, and Jesus said that he didn't come into this world to be served but to serve, if I'm really a follower of Jesus, it means that I'm serving. And I know that serving doesn't always have to happen within the walls of this church. And we serve at sharing care and we serve through school mentoring and we serve in the nursing homes. But can I tell you, there's a lot of stuff going on in this building that we need your help. And we try to set it up so you can just serve one service once a month. In fact, if everybody is in the game, that's really all that, all that we, can, we would ask is one service once a month. Can you imagine everybody who calls themselves part of Journey Church doing that? You can serve on Sunday mornings in kids' ministry, or lead a life group, or serve on Tuesday nights in kids' ministry, or serve at charity care, or serve in our nursing home, or serve on our safety team. If you're into technology, and listen, we have literally, you're going to think this is a joke, on Wednesdays during our prayer time, we've been praying for God to bring some geeks and some nerds into our church who know technology. We need people who know how to change the lighting so it's not always white lights every single Sunday morning. Um, we need people who can help us with our online church where we literally have people tuning in every Sunday morning who can't come to this building because of physical issues. We could, we could use your help. We, 
if, if you have breath in your body, there are ways that you can serve. Praying is serving. If you can't do anything else, you can pray. You can encourage. You can be a Barnabas. You can decide that instead of nitpicking all the things that are wrong, that you're going to be a person who looks for what is right and applaud it and thank people and show appreciation to the people around you. Listen, it's up to us. We can sit back with sentimentality and go, oh, those were the good old days. Or like the church in Antioch, we can have a scent mentality, a scent mindset. It says, listen, I, I'll, I'll tell you guys, I, I'm, I'm turning 46 this year, and some of you go, oh, you're young, and some of you go, oh, you're old. It's a joy of middle age, right? But what I, you know, the word that's been coming to my mind lately as I've been praying is legacy. And as a church, I think we're moving into a place of legacy. What counts now is not buildings, and all of that stuff, what's counting now is, who are we sending? Who are we sending? Who are we building into? I did two funerals this week. It was a funeral heavy week. And man, every time I do a funeral, I just remember how short life is. And the things that are important at a funeral aren't the successes. It's the investment into people. And as a church, that's what God's calling us to be. It's not about the buildings. It's not about the programs. All of that should be about us being sent to people, sharing the good news of Jesus. That Jesus came, he died on the cross, he was risen from the grave because he wants to free you from your sin and your guilt and your shame and your addictions, and your fear, that he really does love you. And that's our message. And we're gonna keep sharing that message until Jesus takes us home or until he takes us all, right? We're gonna have a sent mentality. Would you stand to your feet? Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the last 16 years. We give you all glory and all praise. There was a few seasons in there that we wondered if this thing was even going to continue. <laughs> but you get all the glory. And God, now that this thing is, you know, now we own buildings. Now we, now we but God, all of this, we want to be stewarded for the gospel that all of this would outlive us if Jesus doesn't come back first someday somebody else is going to be pastoring this church someday somebody else is going to be serving in kids ministry and someday there's going to be other people up on the platform leading worship it's not about us it's not about us we want people to look back and say there was a group of people who are faithful, who are stewards, who lived with an action-oriented, sent mentality that was faith-filled. So help us, empower us, lead us, give us creativity, 
Help us to step up and serve in places where we need to serve. Help us not to think only of ourselves. Help us not to do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That we would have humility. That we would have a sent mentality. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.